0: What's the perfect YouTube video length, the perfect length for your YouTube video? How do you know what that perfect amount of time is for your YouTube video? We've got Gwen Miller here. Gwen, what is the exact length as you adjust your mic? What is the exact length in minutes and seconds? We need to know exactly how long every single video should be. Tell us now.
1: Well, I'm going to quote Shelly, it depends, but. No, wait,
0: I have to drink. I'm drinking from the red water bottle now.
1: (laughs) The red water bottle is the Shelly says it depends uh, water bottle. Uh, It really depends. And we can walk through the different kind of nuances that I have found in my research and talking with other strategists and talking with YouTube about how to kind of hit those links that are going to do what you need them to do and kind of how that has evolved over time.
0: Okay, so you but you've been doing a lot of research on this yourself. Mm-hmm. Am I correct?
1: Uh, well, yes, this is kind of one of the the um, never ending questions in in a, a digital strategist's life, which is how long should our content be to be successful
0: so so what have you let's start. What have you found? What have you found?
1: Look, let's, so let's start back in the beginning look there you know back in the early days of YouTube you know it's shorter was better right you know to, uh, they uh, the rule of thumb in the professional circles was just have it really quick and really fast and really high paced and that was going to be more success you know obviously what changed? What changed was YouTube and the rest of us wanted to start monetizing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to, say, put a pre-roll ad in front of a two-minute video. Are you going to want to watch a 30-second ad just to watch two minutes of content? The answer to that is probably no, right? So, in order to be able to start serving these pre-rolls YouTube starts encouraging something called watch time, which is if you can put mm-hmm. push more watch time, they'll give you more reach. And what does this do over time? It you know obviously encourages all of us to make longer content, but what's been really fascinating to me, Dane, is that it has started to reshape how people view content. So mm-hmm. Like now it's so interesting because, you know, you might say, well, it doesn't matter if I put up a 10 minute video and my audience just wants to watch two to three minute videos. Like, aren't I shooting myself in the foot? Well, the truth is now people have been so trained because YouTube has kept Feeding them their, these longer videos that I can tell you, if you start making shorter content, people will be like, "It's not long enough. I, w- why isn't this like 15 minutes long?" Like the everyone is so trained these days to really want like this longer content on YouTube. They see YouTube now as you know, in digital content, we might call it long form, and it's really mid form type of content where it's this 10 to 20 minute. But there is still a world where shorter might be better for you it's really dependent on the type of content you make and what your audience interests are but if you really want to be long-term successful dame in terms of surviving as like i want to make this into a business you probably should be thinking about what can i be making that can more more better that can better fit into youtube's kind of push to these longer and longer watch times
0: Okay, so what I'm going to do, you said 20 minutes is ideal?
1: Uh, Ideal, I would say, is 10 to 16.
0: Great. So what I'm going to do for 16 minutes is I'm going to do this. I'm going to say exactly this. blah, blah. Blah. Is that going to work? No. I'm just going to keep saying it for 16 minutes. Absolutely so. not.
1: Like, and that's kind of the interesting thing because it was not wrong in those two to three minute videos that that fast pacing is very necessary that you're uh, you're involved. But what has been miraculous, and I love watching creators because they will figure out how to make things work, right? <laughs> but what they're doing is they're making 15 minutes of just super interesting, fast paced content. Now so it's a lot blah, of work. blah blah
0: blah blah, blah, blah is not going to work. You actually have to have value. It's not just mm-hmm. the length is what you're saying. But
1: now you have to be giving value for so much longer. So it's a much heavier lift than making a two-minute video when you have to be that interesting and give that much value for a 15-minute video. It's a lot. And now you see these some creators are killing it With these like 30, 45 minute videos, which are like essentially or hour and a half videos, which are full length documentaries. So much work is going into these things. It is so impressive, but it is a little bit more intimidating than being like, oh, I'm going to. Throw up two minute sketches, right? It's why TikTok is so much more accessible right now to the average person to become some sort of influencer on, because you can put up those one minute videos. Whereas on YouTube, you're putting in weeks of work potentially into one video versus hey, I shot this TikTok in an hour.
0: Could you center your camera just a slightly bit so you're closer to the, um, you're closer to your mic just a little bit. So angle to your left just a tiny bit. Yeah. No, a little bit less, but great. Thank you so much. So um, now you can do YouTube. Uh, you can do YouTube shorts. Now that's, that's totally new. the opposite of mm-hmm. length. Those are a maximum of 60 seconds and sometimes those get millions of views. So technically not every video is, you know, great at 12 to 16 minutes
1: true but you also again it always comes back to goals right you know could you potentially have a super successful just just doing 60 second shorts absolutely but it's going to be successful in terms of views you're mm-hmm. not at this point going to make a, a shorts channel and make enough money off of that right to like pay for your, your you to be able to live and eat for
0: a full year Oh, it's a money game. The money
1: game. And you can laugh at that, but like pe- people have to eat, right? You know, so this is one of the reasons, yes, if you look at the data from me and other strategists and from a lot of these, like I have tubular data that shows this too. 10 to 16 minutes is that sweet spot. But from a more practical standpoint, I always tell my producers, can we at least hit that 8-minute mark? If you're like at 7 minutes and 30 seconds, can we find 30 extra great seconds? And why is that? Because at 8 minutes, you get, guess what? You get mid-rolls. And mid-rolls from 7 minutes and 55 seconds to making it over the 8-minute eight, eight mark, you can 3X your revenue because suddenly you go from one ad a video uh, which is a pre roll to potentially mm-hmm. three, four, five, depending how long your video is, mid rolls that are going to play. And you then have, you know, triple X the, the revenue just by finding, you know, 15 to 30 extra seconds.
0: Okay. Now, some businesses and, 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 and at Hearst, you have a content related company, it's the basis of the whole company. Right. But a lot of businesses, they are not going to make the majority of their money as a business. From running YouTube ads, Very and there's true. an option within YouTube of not running ads. So as long as you're actually in the partner program, now there's a lot of businesses that do great with less than a thousand subscribers, so they can't be in the partner program. Mm-hmm. So ironically, they have to run ads. They, have so they don't to have, have a choice.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But let's say you are in the partner program, you have a thousand or more um, subscribers, uh, and the other four thousand hours of whatever, uh, but you can actually shut off ads. Now, technically in YouTube's um, service agreement, they say they can run ads in any situation, at any time, even if you shut them off. But we have found in general that the ads do get shut off in most cases when you actually ask for them Mm -hmm. to be. It goes back to our subscribe thing. When you subscribe, you're not subscribed. When you turn ads off, you're not really turning ads off. But in general, you sort of are. So, so my question to you is, you're making this decision of eight minutes based on a revenue situation in some cases. Ish. Will, will you know, will YouTube, if you're not running ads, will they downrank your videos?
1: If you're not, uh, if you're not running ads now. But you
0: run them the right length.
1: The functionality of having the ads on or off has absolutely no effect on the, essentially the machine learning algorithm that makes decisions on how to push your content. They've been very clear about this. I have seen no proof in my data that shows when we turn off ads, we get less at, uh, you know, reach now.
0: Well, you know, well, I want you to to say that slower and emphasize that because that's a really big thing because you're not just saying that in the algorithm People um, actually um, who don't run ads are just fine. You're saying you don't get any less reach, correct? Yes.
1: Now, you can uh, occasionally get what you think is false positives because why are the common reasons you turn off ads, right? It may be. It's sensitive content. Maybe there's something about it that you don't want to run ads on. So that can and sometimes those are the same things the uh, the the algorithm is looking for in terms to flag content for decreased uh, you know reach. So yes, sometimes you will have a video that you demonetize that will get less reach, but that has to do with characteristics of the video rather than YouTube having nefarious plot that you're not getting me getting me. Look, um, let me
0: ask this question. Address. Let me ask this question because. I don't think that there's any good public data on this. Will you get longer watch time with no ads? Meaning, if an if a video has no ads, no pre-roll in-stream ads, people will be who are impatient will maybe enjoy it longer, maybe like watching if just like when you're watching Um, like one of those movie channels on television that have like 20 minutes of ads in between. You're like, I'm not, I can't watch this anymore. I'm changing the channel. Same thing with YouTube or in your experience, not, can't tell.
1: So interestingly enough, this does differ depending on whether you input the select the ad points or you let YouTube select the ad points and how frequently they show up. You might think, hey, I want to choose the points because, you know, I wanted to not comment an awkward point, which is great. But here's the thing. If you let YouTube do it, they learn every person's habits. So they are customizing the ad load based on their knowledge of that person. They know how, Dane, your tolerance for ads. Maybe you get huffy at a certain point. Maybe you can only have so many in a row. Maybe there's certain characteristics of content that you'll watch more ads in versus less. They know that about you and they may know I'm just happy to watch any ad you put in front of me and they're going to load me with more ads because I have the tolerance for it. But for you, they're not going to because they know that that will turn you off. Their goal is to be essentially neutral, that okay. running an ad will have zero impact on your watch time.
0: OK, so what I hear you saying is that anytime you have a channel, you can decide where ads go, mm-hmm. not just. Um, Yeah, you can decide not just how many, but where they go. Yeah. And... You can also and and how often can you have them? Did you say two minutes every two minutes?
1: I think once you hit the mid roll, they don't really have a ton of rules. If you're putting, I've okay. seen people put in like a gazillion when they're hand selecting them. Okay, I don't advise doing that, people. Yes, once every couple minutes, maybe I advise once every five minutes if you're going to do it by hand or just let YouTube figure it out because they're going to figure out what works for you, Danny. Maybe for you, it's okay. only to a video.
0: So. So what you're saying is, is that you have the choice of selecting where the ads come. You might think that like, there's, if there's a commercial break and you're, you know mm-hmm. you sort of have a natural pause, that might be good. Um, and then you're saying, um, don't do that because YouTube actually will insert it better, not just overall, but that gives them the choice of now customizing it for the individual viewer and their own tolerance mm-hmm. for watching ads.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: So just like you have in YouTube, they can tell you when you do the end screen, they have an option of saying, "Just let us select which video they want to watch next." Here, they're actually saying, "Let the, let us also decide if the person gets an ad when and mm-hmm. and of course they're already deciding what kind of ad.
1: Right, exactly. Now there was an it's kind of a second implicit question in this whole thing, which is so say I'm a business I don't care about ads. Should I like I you know if I make three to four minute videos will that work in the algorithm will the algorithm push that mm-hmm. um, and the truth is from all my data the answer is no <laughs> YouTube keeps being like we're doing nothing here to say that you can't make three to four minute videos and it be successful it's uh-huh. all about audience behavior and YouTube has so successfully moved audience behavior towards these longer and longer videos their expectations for these longer videos and yeah. just by the nature think about if we hang out for 15 minutes, Dane. Think mm-hmm. about how much more, uh, you know, like more we know each other than if mm-hmm. we hang out for two minutes, right? So a lot of the time it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, if I hang out with someone for 15 minutes, I'm more likely to click on your thumbnail the next time I see you versus hanging out with you for two minutes. So I think in a lot of the ways it hasn't been, yes, YouTube put the original thing in motion, but now they're a little bit of a victim of their own success in terms of the audience now is by the nature of the cosmosphere is coming back more often to those creators who create longer content and it's a self-fulfilling cycle.
0: Yeah. So I have this theory. I have this theory. You tell me if you think there's some relevance here. YouTube said, listen, we're going to, it used to be, I think, 10 minutes or whatever that you, you could reach a certain number of mid-rolls and so forth. But YouTube said, we're going to incentivize these longer watch times with ads. Thus, creators wanted to find ways to have longer content that was engaging that they could put more ads in. Thus, it created a feeling on YouTube that you could watch longer content and actually you would see um, compelling content because now the competition had gone up, people were learning how to make longer and more valuable videos. So, so it was a sort of um, driven by mm-hmm. that monetary value initially. And yeah. now, and, and now well. the principles are there.
1: Correct, and now that is kind of the building blocks of physics of this universe now, and I'm just incredibly impressed at creators because yes, anytime you give them a slight incentive, and this is where YouTube often gets itself in weird situations, is they create an incentive thinking it's going to do one thing, it, but it can kind of slightly incentivize just even just a iota of an inch towards a certain direction and creators are so good at exploiting those that they're going to find like the most amazing new formats that suddenly you're sitting here being like I can't believe I watched this for 35 minutes but you feel really good about your life but that wouldn't have happened if if YouTube hadn't you know flapped the little butterfly wings to get that all started
0: so for for businesses I'll tell you what I what I tell our our clients when they say um you know, should we have ads or not? That my question is in nine times out of 10, you're not a content business. Yeah. You're trying to drive leads and sales. Let's just not have it. And so we turn them off. The second question is how long a video should be for a business. And if they're not a content business, we actually tell them as long as you need to explain something and yeah. give value and not one second longer. Do not bore them for one second Absolutely. because you're, you're a business you may be giving a tutorial about something that's interesting in your world of expertise I'm you make you can't see it but I'm giving the hand signal for a world I'm showing a globe here so the world of your expertise so for instance if you are was watching a video from the HubSpot channel today then they talked about. LinkedIn. So they were giving me LinkedIn to tu- tutorial. Now, they never said, well, f- for a good portion of it, they never said HubSpot. Um, they were talking about LinkedIn. And so they were giving their expertise. It was a very valuable video about how to do LinkedIn. Um, good content marketing, not a wasted second. Wasn't 14 minutes. Right. So... I think in business, people are not looking to be entertained, although they do enjoy when entertainment comes with the learning. Correct. But when you're doing B2B or shopping for a product or so forth, you don't necessarily need to go on the same adventure uh, that you wonderful Mm -hmm. people at Hearst take them on. That, that's D-
1: absolutely true. Like, agree
0: or disagree?
1: A strong four-minute video about exactly what you're supposed to be talking about is always going to perform better than a ten-minute morass, which is feels like one of those recipe blogs where you have to read three pages of a story just to get to the information you want. Um, and I will say another important thing to note when you're talking about this how-to content is: here's my. You want to hear my conspiracy theory about chapters?
0: Conspiracy theory.
1: So, because here's what the very interesting thing that has happened. Explain what
0: chapters are.
1: So chapters are essentially you can go into your video and or – YouTube can help you with this too. There's something called automatic chapters and you can essentially put pre put in segments be like, okay, this segment Mm -hmm. is where I demonstrate the product. This is like how to, and this segment is like how to screw on the hubcap. This segment is to essentially chapter like a book, your video so that it's split up into discrete segments.
0: And you do that by marking a time code Mm -hmm. and you start with zero colon zero, Mm -hmm. zero. And then you put each time code with a little title in the description in order, what is coming at that point. And then you can click in YouTube to get there. And you can, by the way, even on Google, it shows up in search. You can drill down to just this one spot, and that helps you be more searchable there. Okay, so what is the conspiracy theory about chapters on Google?
1: I think I think chapters is their solution to what's becoming a persistent problem on this platform. So, you know, back in 2013, everyone was making these nice, tight two, three-minute videos. So, like, for example, the other day, I was Googling – I was YouTubing for basic weightlifting moves. I was like, I was going to – we haven't – I was like, I'm going to learn how to weightlift.
0: For the listeners, Gwen is doing the muscle man uh, pose.
1: So, and what was interesting to me is for every single one that I would search using the YouTube search bar, I would always get a video from around 2013 because it was exactly what I wanted, right? This is exactly Uh what I'm searching for. I just want a minute and a half showing me exactly how to do the thing, right? (laughs) And so, uh, you know, that was the era when we were all making comments, uh, content that was two to three minutes about how exactly to do the thing. And that those videos had, you know, 10 years to, like, garner millions of views. So it was very hard for anything new to compete with them Mm -hmm. at at a short length. So it just keeps surfacing these old, older, uh, you know, recommendations. Now, think about that. If that continues, we're all going to be 2030 YouTube searching things, and we're getting stuff from 2013. It already feels a little anachronistic right now. That is just going to get worse. But if you have like chapters, right? So chapters, essentially, you can take one longer video and it's being split up into these small, discrete segments. So for example, say there was a video that had 12 tricep exercises that will blow up your arms. Uh, one of them might have been one two minute segment of, the, of that, may have been that exact tricep exercise okay. I was searching for. Right. Now, in this new world of chapters, yes. they can surface this newer piece of content, which happens to be longer, but just send me directly to those two minutes that I care about. And or suddenly. You can find it. They have a lot more options of fresh stuff to put in your in your search. So I would encourage every business be using chapters because this is the way to really like take advantage of a new feature that will help you pop in search versus some of this older content that has you know uh, been around for so long and it's hard to compete with otherwise.
0: And uh, and we were talking about this uh, messaging back and forth uh, about this this week. I've noticed that they're starting to do a lot more. I don't know if they call it key moments or whatever they're calling it, where you can watch someone else's video and you can see what I believe to be the relative audience retention graph. It's not. This, it's not. Mm-mm. Nope. So so it, did I call it right? Is it key moments or something else?
1: Uh, I forget what they're calling let's, it. But let's yeah, it's ca- key let's moments, say it's yeah.
0: called key moments. Sounds right. And and what is this? Okay, or? so
1: let's explain some of the terms that you just said. So we have long had something called relative retention graphs. This is only available to the creator in the back end mm-hmm. of YouTube analytics. But what that graph is telling you is for every second of your video, it's comp- comparing the percentage of viewers who are still there versus what's average for the platform. Mm-hmm. like so Most at,
0: replayed. It may be called most replayed.
1: Yes, because that is actually what it is. So okay. the relative retention graph at 2 minutes and 52 seconds is telling you, are, do you have a higher percentage of people still watching than other content or less? And that's a great way to see if you're outpacing normal or underpacing normal. It's very powerful for creators to figure out what moments are causing people to lean in and what moments are causing people to lean out this this a new feature which you just said is called
0: most replayed Re- most
1: replayed is literally and this is public so if you go and it's rolling out so you may or may not have access to this yet but if you see it it's like this little tiny graph at the bottom of your videos going up and down and that is literally just showing exact things that people are rewinding and watching yeah. so that's just are they pausing coming back I would I warn you about this type of data because I've seen this happen with absolute retention graphs when when people have over relied on them. Yes. Is sometimes they're rewinding for bad reasons, right? So oh. if you say left a graphic up on screen for too short of the time and they didn't have mm-hmm. time to read it, they're going to have to rewind and pause and watch well, it.
0: Yeah. You know what? We had on one channel that we had for uh, Justice for Girls some years ago this multi-million view music video, and they were learning to do a certain dance move. But what I realized was that we didn't have the dance move long enough on the video for them to learn it, which was actually problematic because it went by too fast, and that that actually was taking away views because you weren't giving them what they wanted. And so in the next video, I encouraged them to have the segment just stay on that dance move longer. Don't be cutting away because people are actually wanting to learn that dance move and not just be amazed by you know cutting in and out.
1: So this is a great example of how when you're working with data, context is very important and to understand the whys you can't just mechanically follow oh the graph went up that's a good thing let's do more of that it can lead you into shoddy content if you're not thinking analytically and you know objectively about the reasons why and what's going to actually increase that audience satisfaction overall
0: so this might increase audience satisfaction, which is skipping to the part that everyone wants to see. But does it increase watch time? If you're going on the graph and going, hey, I want to see what everyone else was looking at. Maybe not.
1: And that's, that's an open question. Now, YouTube tells me what they tell me every time they introduce one of these new features is that, we, that they beta tested this very thoroughly. And all. Their, again, it supposedly views neutral. So mm-hmm. uh, the supposedly they, they won't go as far as saying it's going to increase your watch time, but they said watch time wise it should be watch time neutral. In fact, okay. that it's ne- in, in their any content that they have studied it is not decreased watch time. Right. For what it's worth, again, YouTube has different incentives than we do. I would encourage you to uh, make your own conclusions. I just, I don't personally see a ton of use for the tool besides, you know, like in people who do more stunty videos, that's the part that probably was in slow-mo or something blew up. Like, okay I, I, otherwise I'm like, I find chapters from an audience perspective. I think chapters are a great thing because there is an argument there. I see YouTube's argument here, which is these people probably don't want to watch your 12 minute video but they might watch two minutes and two minutes of extra watch time versus zero extra watch time is still a plus in the algorithms perspective. So, and that's a net how do gain. You,
0: how do you break up a story? So sometimes a, a narrative, a good story is actually hard to break up in a YouTube, just in chapters. You're saying, well, this is the part where I talk about this and this and it, and why would someone, because if you're not listening to the story, It's hard to come up with a concise, interesting thing to click on. How do you write a chapter if it's a narrative that, I mean, we've heard of, you know, books have chapters, of course. But Mm -hmm. how do you come up with a sort of intriguing, I guess you'd call it a subtitle, really. It's a chapter title and a chapter is not chapters like a book. It's really just a segment. How do you do that? How do you do that?
1: look i do think that chapters have more or less utility based on the type of content for how to it's 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 by far the best for r too, right yeah, you know sure. but even with like say you know what's by far right now the most popular formats on youtube which is kind of the follow vlog right where you follow mm-hmm. someone through their day you could see that's easily broken up into going to the market lunch like you know my dad is back from the war or, or whatever like that's a little bit more clear i think where mm-hmm. it might get more problematic is to your point if you know maybe you're doing sketches on YouTube. If it is just a, you know, single sketch that is cohesive, it may be less useful for you and the audience to send people to specific parts. Either you're going to watch the story or you're not going to watch the story. And in that case, maybe, you know, maybe chapters aren't something you really need to be concerned about. But for you for this podcast purposes, Dane, I don't think many of your business clients are out there putting up, up you know, fictional sketches. Like they're doing mostly more how-to or educational. Well, actually,
0: yeah, actually we were um, working on much more narrative, um, I, I call them ed, uh, edutorials or storytorials, you know, combining story and tutorials. Um, where we were throwing in a lot more narrative. And and what we do is we encourage you to talk about the client and give the client a fictional name like Susan or Phil or whatever. And it doesn't have to be Susan or Phil. It can be, you know, I was working with a client. We'll call her Susan. And what Susan said is that she wanted ABC. So I said, okay. And we actually put up an image just of stock footage of a woman and we'll just put the thing in that says, Susan, we found that viewers it makes it much more enjoyable for them to just think of it being a person instead of a client of ours or what you should do just doing that. And then we would run through a narrative and it gives us more liberty Mm -hmm. because we're not telling anything about anyone specifically and we may change the gender, we may change the name, whatever that thing is, and, you know, and then tell that whole story. And we found that actually gets a lot right. more watch time. And as long as you're following through with a structure of a tutorial, you can really accentuate and, and bring people in and they remember it so mm-hmm. much better and enjoy it and want to come back again and again.
1: Absolutely. That's so smart. That's what you have to do. Stories are always worth a thousand words, right? That's what's going to get people to relate to it and remember it. But, Dane, I'm going to bet, like, in Mm -hmm. these examples you're telling me, like, there's always a through line of the process there. We
0: try. We try.
1: So, in that case, it's, you know, like, you know, maybe they're buying a house. Like, one chapter is called the search for the perfect home. You know, the next Mm -hmm. one is, like, putting in the offer. The next one would be, like, you know – Making the clothes, obviously, I've never bought a house, so I don't know how this works. Sure, in the mortgage sure, sure. Or whatever. But, you know, the stories, there's the framework, but you can still see how there's beats within that framework to create mm-hmm. chapters around, yeah?
0: Yes, agreed. And you, and it doesn't have to be a boring, you know, now that I think about it, we really had a lot of boring step one, step two, step three, but doesn't right. really have to, you know, the, you know. It could, a chapter could be, oops, there was a problem, or, yeah. you know, um, a rat found in oven, or, you know, something just, you know, weird you know, in the in between what happened, right? Which
1: which is a great point, because, you know, I, how I personally use chapters mostly is, I am, if you start boring me, I will skip ahead. And before chapters, I would just have to guess. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to pick a place a little further on and see if he's not being boring anymore, right? With chapters, I can be like, okay, when is he stopping talking about this thing, which I feel like I have a grasp on, he's just rambling now. And then I just, hop to the next, the next chapter to see, oh, if this is more interesting. And then I just keep going through your content that way. So for me as a, a viewer, that is a, good, you, that is a good design for me.
0: You know what they do? Like if I'm watching a Netflix movie or whatever and they don't have a trailer and it's like I love watching old movies or something, but if I'm on Netflix or whatever streaming platform and, and they don't have a trailer to tell me what it's about, I actually start – watching a video in the middle or a third of the way in I just skip ahead because I'm like I, what is it if I watch this for 20 minutes is it, am I going to be enjoying it I actually don't watch The build-up, the introduction.
1: Yeah, the setting the stage isn't always as predictive as a solid watching two minutes from the middle when you're like, oh, this is the vibe of the movie. We're not setting things up anymore. We're in it. This is how the movie is going to go. And that gives a good sense if it's your kind of jam or not.
0: And you talk a lot about Viewer satisfaction, which can be many, many things. And one of the things that you talk about viewer satisfaction is coming back to YouTube again and again and also coming back to the channel again and again.
1: Mm-hmm. And but, staying well, wait, wait, there longer f- in that session too.
0: But well let me let me say this point. If you know that this creator and this or this business channel is always Trying to be as helpful as possible and chapters is one of that thing by saying we're going to give you not just information, but it's going to be organized Mm -hmm. and working around your time and your schedule. Even if that watch time is shorter, this channel may be rewarded Mm -hmm. because it's creating satisfaction as defined by coming back again and again.
1: Correct, or staying on the platform longer. This is a very key thing when talking about video length as well, which you know, when YouTube says they don't directly reward you in the algorithm for for, for having any certain length of video, it's a little disingenuous, right? They put in the incentives there, but they also, we know, are rewarding us for something which they don't directly tell us in our analytics, which is session watch time. Uh, And this is something that if your video – keeps people on the platform longer, you get rewarded for that. So you're kind of getting judged mm. on the entire session watch time from when your video starts to whenever the end. You don't get credit for anything that happened in the session before your video came along, but if, you, if people watch your video then watch more, That is, A, a great sign to YouTube that, hey, people didn't hate your video so much they stormed off, but also indicates that if we push this to more people, maybe they spend more time on the platform and watch more content. We can serve them more ads, right? Now, here's the thing. You'll hear me talking a lot when we talk about video structure, uh, as we have in the past, about never about – the points in time when people think about leaving. So like in the middle of the video, if you have very, very obvious changes in thoughts, if something, you know, like you, you go to a different room, you signal that you're changing something, these are times for people to think, hmm, I should go do the dishes, right? And this is what ha- also what happens every time a video finishes, right? So if you have a bunch of 2-minute videos, they're ha- now having going through that same thought process every 2 minutes where they're like, "Gee, should I leave this platform? Gee, should I leave my this platform?" You get enough of those decision points, like they're more likely to leave the platform. Now, if suddenly they're making they're hitting those points much less in a single watch session, it becomes a lot easier for you to get those longer watch session times, and therefore you're being indirectly rewarded for having that longer content, which is kind of fascinating to me in the okay. terms of, again, unintended consequences for what YouTube has set up as this structure.
0: Now let's talk about unintended consequences for a second because there's somebody listening to you right now. I I can see them out there and they're saying this is great information, Gwen Miller. I appreciate your research about the length the video should be. And as a business, I'm you know I need to do the least work and get the most value. And so, since every video needs to be at least twelve to sixteen minutes, no, and you keep making or,
1: time longer, date. I never said that.
0: What did you say?
1: It's eight to sixteen.
0: Okay. So it needs to be 8 to 16 but I can but longer is better. So great. I can do this very easily because you know what? I can do an interview or I can show a video of this great conference we're having or you You're know what the easiest is. thing the most easiest thing we can do, we can do a live stream and we can live stream for an hour and we can have all sorts of interesting people Talking on YouTube, and isn't this great? Let's do it. Gwen said it was okay. Um, I want you to say, is it okay?
1: No. It, you never put... No. No never it's put conference okay. I never put content on youtube people who put there's a special circle of hell reserved for people who make <laughs> us watch conference content on youtube <laughs> just don't do it you know look dane I, I think it all again it always comes down to making good content but we like i love like the format you put for your for your kind of businesses because mm-hmm. back in the world where we were all in this mantra of like you must have short 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 everyone was doing these two to four minute videos where it's just to the point yeah. it's how to like Literally anybody with no personality could be presenting this stuff. It was utilitarian, (laughs) right? Yeah. It didn't really make that much, much of an impact, but you take that same content, you envelop that in a story oh my God, suddenly I'm connecting with you. I'm t- connecting to the top better. I'm learning better. We learn better through stories. Mm-hmm. That is the way you get to this slightly longer content in a very productive way for your audience. It is mm-hmm. not by rambling on for a long time. Like mm-hmm. it is not by putting up, you know, like I- interviews are very tricky. On pe- A lot of people just want to be t- like,
0: we're, now, we're doing this as a live stream on my channel, and I tell you, it doesn't really work that well, so we don't, don't do this because we're doing it. It actually is not, like, a big thing for my channel, but it's just one of several things we do, and I like doing it, and I do a lot of things to test out processes on this channel, so don't do it just because... I'm doing it.
1: And again, this is also another big thing that you know, Dane, hanging out with me for a long time. Every type of content has its purpose and what it's for. What we're Mm -hmm. doing right here is not something that gets a ton of views, and it shouldn't. This is, you know, people want to more come for that tightly edited You know, five to 10 minute content. They just do. But this is super fan content, Dane. This is for people who want to hang out with us. Like, I I don't know about how you watch live streams, but I'm not going to watch live streams with somebody that I'm not like really invested in. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Even though you might not get a ton of views on these, this is kind of that core audience building stuff that you're doing that might get you further in other ways than just an overall views number.
0: For the people, and I currently have a small channel, but for the people who like us, they'll watch, they'll enjoy it. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually do other things. I actually take these off the main feed. I make them unlisted and I put them in a live stream. I embed the video on a... Web page about the, the podcast videomarketingvalue.com and that's sort of how I do it and it doesn't get a ton of views. but for the people who really enjoy it and also on Shelley's channel, it's really really they love it. yeah and and it does offer value, but it's not the thing you do if you're like I unless you're super famous or whatever right. I guess, and you already have a super powerful you know yeah. podcast with hundreds of thousands of listeners, it's not the really way to go to grow an audience. In fact, McNimon, who's huge on this, says he actually loses subscribers by doing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You don't do it as a growth strategy. It's doing other intangibles for you, but it's not going to be your ticket to like fame and glory. Dana. So length
0: yeah. is length. not the only reason it's length Correct. and value and Correct. also format. Because yes. this live format is not built and doesn't result in the same way.
1: Yeah, for sure. I want to get back to when you kind of mentioned interviewing and I would love to get your yeah. perspective on this. You know, I you know, I always ew, away a little bit from like having like YouTube newbies or like small businesses like do those interview formats because inevitably it seems to always turn out like nineties public access television. Like, Mm -hmm. because they have this is how people were interviewed when I was a kid. Like, I do think you interviewing YouTube can work, but it's such a delicate art. Have you had success with the interview format with with clients? Or is it always better to first get them used to that storytelling style to get them comfortable with with the with the kind of the medium?
0: Well, so I think it starts with a a few different things in mind. So let's, we've already talked about live streaming and how, and this is essentially, we could call this an interview format. It's not, um, it's not really, it's a discussion, but it's the same thing 2 Let's say anything with two people. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, what are we doing though? We are very focused on the viewer, even though we're having a two-person conversation, right. we, I feel that we're really talking to the viewer. And one of the things that we are doing is while we're speaking, we're actually looking at the camera, which means we're looking at the viewer. Now... We're actually not because often as, as happens, we tend to look down on the screen where we see the person right. just like on Zoom. You don't actually look in the camera like I'm looking at now. We look down at, say, I'm seeing Gwen here. Right. But, but that's the number one thing is in an interview, the most important in person in an interview is not the other person. It's the camera
1: mm-hmm.
0: because the camera represents the viewer. The camera is the viewer. And when you're a business and you're on video, you are the world's number one salesperson for that business at that time. And you would never go into a client's office and look over their shoulder, which is what you end (laughs) up doing if you're looking either not directly at the camera or at the other person who's sitting next to you. So that's out. So that means every conference video, it's out. Every uh, time you sit down with anyone, it's out. But one, one of the things you can do is you start by, you know, setting people behind a standing table and then you can actually use like a teleprompter so that they can actually have their own video reflected into them. So they can actually speak directly to the camera as they're interviewing. Now, imagine you and I are standing next to each other. We actually need to talk here and not not to each other. Right. Um, I have seen a couple of interviews do okay, but it really has to be very, very unique situations. And often, because people don't have either YouTube or interviewing experience, there's a lot of dead weight and you can usually cut off the first five minutes of whatever yeah. discussion that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the retention graph just sinks like a stone. But I yeah. want to add one other t- another tip one interview format that I have done that I like and has, it's been okay, it's been okay. And I think you've seen me do this or you've seen some of the videos that I did when we went to conferences and we'll go again, but I would walk around the conference with a gimbal and I put my phone up there and I'd say, I'm gonna do an interview of you, but now we're actually looking at ourselves in the phone as we're walking, okay? Now, what happens with that? You're actually both looking forward, which means you're looking at the viewer because if you look at each other, you're gonna trip and fall down since you're walking, right? The act of walking, you have to move forward Mm -hmm. thus you wanna look forward, thus you're looking at the viewer. And so, and it also, you ever heard of the, so there's a storytelling technique called Save the Cat. You ever heard of that uh, story? It's about movie writing and TV writing.
1: I don't remember what it's about, though.
0: (laughs) Well, they talk about exposition. And exposition in any story is the explaining part, right? Mm -hmm. Not the action part. Well, most tutorials are explaining. So they talk about you have to actually be doing something as you're explaining. So have someone, like in The Godfather, they're mixing um, spaghetti sauce or... um, Like recently on the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, they did a whole bunch of exposition to start out the the season and they put every character on a Ferris wheel and they're shouting, well, what happened then? Well, what happened then? And they're shouting at each other and now it becomes interesting. And that's, I think, you know, if you could interview somebody while you're both skateboarding or you're both juggling or you're whatever, like in that one show where they're both eating hot peppers – You add this other element to make discussion more dynamic.
1: Yes. And it also gives something visually interesting for people to watch. And it also makes it feel a little bit more like you're hanging out with them, right? You know, like, hey, we're Mm -hmm. all in the kitchens eating hot peppers. Like, uh, this is, you know, this is us together. Another thing that I found very interesting over uh, over many years of trying to make these type of cheer point two people plus content work is... You have to be, as if you're, say, producing this content, you're not in it, but also if you are in it, you've got to be aware of this phenomena, which is the closer you are to the person, uh, the more it feels like a collab and it usually works very better. And this is for a simple reason. Like you and you mean I know the two
0: people being interviewed are closer. Correct. So yeah, we've okay. always
1: found like you and I know each other very well at this point. we We banter off each other. We know each other's beats, all that sort of stuff. So for us, it's a little less we don't really need to be focusing so much on relationship building between the two of us, right? <laughs> uh, you know, we are now just concentrating on like, hey, we've been around each other too long. We want to tell someone else this. Hey, come over here, we have this thing. We're gonna go back and forth. I see this a lot in like the celebrities I've worked with in the past where if you get them on in an episode with like their husband or their assistant or their hairdresser or their really close friends, like they will open up to the camera because they're just kind of talking over each other and talking to the camera and it's a lot more natural, but... If it's someone they've only met once or twice, someone someone who they are still kind of feel the way out in that relationship, that's when it happens. They start blocking off the camera. They start turning to each other because it feels very impolite to, to a stranger sure, to sure. not to not just be like focused fully on the stranger and trying to develop that relationship. The problem is we need that immediate comfortability and uh, tying in the camera that can be very hard if they're not already intimately acquainted with the person so that was something very interesting i was not expecting to find of it's so much easier to make these work when you have two people who know each other really
0: well you reminded me of the closeness because i'm remembering now this was is going back a bit but i remember a i think it was on hulu uh, it was this, um, I, don't, I don't know if it's still on, but I'm going to look it up now. But it was this interview series called Seven Minutes in Heaven. And if you remember from junior high, you'd have to go into, yeah. into the closet and you'd have to, you know, everyone would be waiting to see if you made out or not. Well, um, what this guy did, he was a writer from Saturday Night Live and he would interview famous people, but in his closet – so he'd get in the closet and it was a very small closet, and there'd be this tension there. And he'd say, So, what did you do this? But then at the very, very end of the seven minute interview, he, no matter who it was, Tom Hanks, uh, Rosie O'Donnell, he would try to kiss them. <laughs> so there was this tension throughout the entire thing. Is he going to, first of all, is he going to try to kiss? And then will they accept the kiss? And what type of kiss will it be? And so there was this other element that made the interview so much more tense and interesting because you knew at the end, no matter who it was, he was going to try to kiss them and he would give them the eye, you know, that eye, like I want to kiss you. And so then it would be, that's what, that's what happened. So anyway, it was just a great interview concept. But it doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be that. No, it does not have to be that.
1: And the other thing I will say about, you know, I've also had, because, you know, it's always been one of my little tricks when trying to get especially newbie-like people to YouTube uh, comfortable is, yeah, give them stagecraft. Give them stuff to do. uh, But sometimes that backfires. There are certain people who cannot do two things at once, where they cannot talk And do things. And then it became really robotic where either they were really stiff when they were talking because they were concentrating on getting whatever they were doing perfect. Or like they would just stand there with like the knife in their hand like this looking like a serial killer while they talked. So it's very interesting that you kind of have to customize these strategies to the talents. Like, And if you're the talent, be very self-aware about your capabilities. Am I going to be more comfortable with stagecraft or is it going to just make me lose my um, lose my like mind? And it's better just to have this, you know, deeply staring into the camera. And having so a conversation. I'm going
0: to I'm going to tell you what this is. So it's you can look on YouTube on the above average channel, and it's uh, Mike O'Brien, Seven Minutes in Heaven, and he interviews Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, Elijah Wood, Kristen Wiig, and others. Um, just really funny. But until next week, Gwen Miller, uh, how can people find you? And for those who have listened and watched to this very end of the period, can you tell us the secret URL or how we can find your YouTube channel?
1: Oh, um, I don't know. But uh, maybe if you search for Gwen Miller, it would come up. Um, I don't Uh know. I don't think I have a custom URL yet, Dane. Okay.
0: Well, maybe not a URL, but how people can find it. So it is, we can reveal now to only to the people who have listened to this point. That you have the Gwen Miller channel. Just look I you up I do have a Gwen Miller YouTube. channel.
1: I don't have any content on. Content coming soon. It does have a list of all these live shows that we've done. Uh-huh. Um, and um, theoretically, you can search for Gwen Miller. I don't know if it's going to pull up in the first. There can't be a lot of Gwen Millers on YouTube doing stuff. So you might have luck. Otherwise, uh, you know, when it does go up, we'll also share here that you can find it and how to find it.
0: Mm-hmm. And the format... It's going to be interesting. And my name is Dane Golden. My YouTube channel is called Vidyup, V-I-D-I-U-P, where you can find live streams like this, which we're now calling Video Marketing Live, but you can find it on videomarketingvalue.com. You can follow me on LinkedIn or just, um, hey, if you want to meet, if you're a business, uh, you want to pay me to talk to you, go to talktodane.today and you can schedule a call. Until next week, here's to helping you help your customers through video.